He travels nationally and internationally preaching and teaching about the knowledge of God, intercession, and the urgency of the hour. He resides in Kansas City, Missouri with his wife, Dana, and their three daughters, Trinity, Maya, and Hadassah. Come on, friend. We welcome you here tonight. Let's welcome Corey Russell. Ooh, man. Good evening. My goodness. I just love this, man. I get to come in here. Your hunger provokes me. I want you to know it. I come in and just to see you guys taking these three weeks at the beginning of your year, just to set it upon the Lord is absolutely beautiful and it moves him. And I just honor to be in your midst and to see your hunger and to, uh, And just to share these few days with you, I have my middle daughter, Maya, with me. Go ahead and wave, Maya. There she is. And her friend, Shiloh. And uh, they just love coming here with me. So this is our trip. And so I have three beautiful daughters. I have an 18-year-old daughter, Trinity, 14-year-old Maya, and then 7-year-old Hadassah. And uh, we're blessed. Amen? Turn to Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. I do want to encourage you. We, uh, Chris spoke about glory within. Um, I also have a book that's about a month old that's out there. I've only got about 20 of those as well. And it's called uh, uh, Inheritance. And it's called Clinging to God's Promises in the Midst of Tragedy. And the last five years have been intense years for us. And God has used five specific psalms to carry my heart through the last five years. And uh, they contain revelation of God. You know, uh, David said in Psalm 119, I would have suffered in my affliction unless your law had been my delight. And I can I can honestly say that God's word has been my delight, been our delight, and it's navigated our hearts through affliction. And so this will bless you. I have a prayer CD out there that teaches you how to get above the storm. I, I feel like it's taken me 20 years to lock in on why I'm on this earth. I got saved 20 years ago, but I'm taking the next 40 years to training the body of Christ and learning how to ascend, to lock eyes with him who's on the throne and to learn how to pray. And uh, uh, I care a lot about that. All right, Lord, we love you. We thank you. I thank you for the worship. I thank you for your presence. And God, we just ask you to meet us this weekend. I thank you that you fill the hungry soul. You fill the hungry heart with goodness. And with your glory and your presence. Father, I thank you for Good News Church. I thank you for the, the, uh, the leadership. I thank you for the team. I thank you for the, the, uh, the, the, the vision. I thank you for where this place is going and the impact that is set apart in the coming days, God. I thank you for the impact they've had. And I just pray, God, that you would use this uh, conference just to release an explosion all through this city. And that you, God, would just begin to touch our homes and touch our neighborhoods and touch our workplaces and touch our schools with your glory. And that every person we would come into contact with would be impacted by the things you do in us and through us this weekend, God. We bless you, Holy Spirit. We honor you. We love you. And we ask you to touch us in the name of Jesus. We pray that God touch us, change us in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. Isaiah 66, Isaiah 66. And I want to start with this and then I'm going to be going to the new Testament in Matthew chapter four. But I just, this is, you know, the Lord's been taking the beginning of 2018. We just come out of our big one thing conference. We saw around 25 of you guys. Come on, 
Come on, there you are. So you guys just came to our house, and now I'm here at your house. So I love it. We get the, just that easy. I just enjoy the ride from Kansas City. It's so nice. It's a little boring, but it's nice. I like boring because then I can just kind of ease into prayer mode. Not too many changes, so it's boring. And so I like that. But it's just easy, and I just feel such a kindred spirit with you guys, and it's just so easy. So um, we just had 20, you know, you know, 10, 15,000 here in Kansas City hosting that. And as I moved into 2018, I'm hearing the question of Isaiah 66. I'm hearing the question of Isaiah 66, and I just want to read this, and I felt that I just want to just, you know, share the same question with you. This is the Lord speaking, and he says, Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? Verse 2. All those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. Here it is. But on this one will I look. I love that phrase. But on this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. My goodness, that's an amazing two verses. God saying, I sit in heaven and I put my feet on the earth. I've made galaxies. I've made billions of angels, billions of galaxies. I've got heaven on my resume, earth on my resume, and galaxies that you don't even know about on my resume. I've got 10 million angels surrounding me, crying out day and night, holy, holy, holy. I'm surrounded by elders, angels, and a whole bunch of other people that you don't even know about. And then God poses the question to you. He comes off his glorious throne and he looks you right in your eyes. He looks me right in his eyes, right in my eyes. And he says, but where is the house that you will build me? Where is the place of my rest? There is something that God refuses to make. That only you can make for him. And that God either won't or he can't make the only thing. And that is a heart that is fully surrendered to God. That is the one thing that God himself will not make. And he looks to you and he looks to me. And he says, and he puts the onus on us. I love that because he doesn't take it away from us. He comes to us. It's almost like John 4. And I always thinking of the John 4, how Jesus shows up to the woman at the well and he says, give me a drink. He is looking from something from her saying, honey, you have dignity and I am looking for only the worship that you can give me. Well, I've had five husbands and I'm living with the man. He goes, you're the picture of a hungry heart, honey. You've been running after every man and the seventh man is the one you've been looking for. Give me your worship. Give me your worship. And I love it that God shows up to the most broken, the most needy, the most desperate. And he places dignity upon us saying, I want to live in you. And I want you to make a place for me. Where is the place of my rest? And then God says this, all this phrase. He says, all those things my hand has made. All those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. That's my prayer in 2018. May my life get the attention of heaven. On this one will I look. Who wants to get heaven's attention? 
Two of you. All right. I want to get heaven's attention. What is the magnet of heaven? The one who has angels surrounding him. What gets his attention? On this one will I look. And God gives three characteristics of the heart that gets his attention. Of the life that gets his attention. Number one, him who is poor. A man, a woman, a young person who is completely bankrupt in their spirit. Who is this? They have been delivered from themselves and saying, God, outside of you, I have nothing. Number one, he who is of a poor spirit. Number two, he who is of a contrite spirit. That word contrite means lame. It means like this. It literally means a broken, contrite spirit, which means God is looking for the leaning person. He's looking for the leaning spirit. I always think of Jacob after he came out of that night's wrestle with the angel of the Lord in Genesis 32. And he sees Jacob. And do you know the rest of his life, Jacob walked like this? Do you know that? And that walk for the rest of his life spoke to a night encounter that he had with the angel of the Lord. His whole life bore, I got the name change and I got forever changed in the midnight wrestle. And God will take you through midnight wrestling seasons that produces a leaning in you and delivers you from independence, self-sufficiency, and doing Christianity in your own strength and ability. Those are painful lessons, but they're lessons that we'll be forever grateful on. And God says, because it's the contrite spirit that moves him. And number three, God's saying, I'm looking for a man or a woman or a young person who trembles. Everybody say tremble. Say it again. Say trembles. Which means you feel when God speaks, you feel it and you respond to it. In the Christian life, the enemy wants you to get jaded, wants you to get hard and stagnant. And God's saying, I want to tell you, I want you to get a vision. I want to be a person that responds when you speak. I want to feel it and I want to make necessary changes to do what you're saying. Go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Because this is what I, I feel like God's read. Uh, resurfacing a message I was preaching in 2010. And he's been resurfacing it in me again. And he's saying, Corey, I want to build a wineskin for revival. We talk about building a hosting place for the presence of the Lord. What is it that hosts the presence of the Lord? How do we cater to his presence and build lives individually in our families, in our Churches in our lives. How do we, what is the life that hosts the presence of the Lord? And I just want to look right here, Matthew 4 into Matthew 5. And I'm going to lock in on one of the Beatitudes tonight. So I'm just kind of setting it up. I'm going to lock in on spiritual hunger here in a little bit. But I just want to see the context. When Jesus pretty much comes out of the baptismal waters, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Luke says that he went in filled with the Spirit. And the Bible says that he returned in the power of the Spirit. And if you read the beginning of the Gospels, Jesus hits Galilee like a storm. 
He hits it like a storm, and you're about to read the, the, the fruit of Jesus' storm, his power, his breakout of power in the region of Galilee. Verse 23. It says, Jesus went about all of Galilee. This is chapter 4. And he was doing this. He was teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease among the people. Verse 24. Then his fame. Everybody say his fame. Which means Jesus was famous. Went throughout all of Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. Those who were demon possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Verse 25. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Now go to Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. Very next verse. So I want you to, to see this and just keep it right there. He blows up into Galilee. He's preaching, teaching, healing, deliverance. Bang, 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 bang. And for every one person that he's touching, they're grabbing five other people, ten other people that they know that need the same touch from heaven. And the ones are turning to tens, turning to hundreds, turning to thousands. And you have a snowball effect as Jesus is like a storm hitting Galilee. Guys, I believe with all my heart, he's going to release that same kind of apostolic power again on men and women that takes over regions like this. When we talk about revival, when you say, God, let it rain, let it rain, that's what we're talking about. We're not just talking about you laying down longer at the altar, though that will happen. But I'm talking about regions coming underneath the manifest presence of God. To where there is a realm of healing, deliverance, and power of preaching. And it's like a storm. And it busts out all the systems. It blows out all the wineskins. And it's disruptive. There ain't nothing nice about Jesus. Jesus came out like a man on fire. Don't know, don't know, don't know. And it's like he gathers the thousands, and I love verse 1, Matthew 5, verse 1, and he's about to launch in to his first public message, the Sermon on the Mount. I love this. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. So it's almost like he gathers everyone to the stadium, and then he climbs up on the stage, the disciples are gathered to him, and then verse 2. He opened his mouth. <laughs> He's about to give us one of the longest messages you've ever heard. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's all red. It's not anybody else. It's all red. And talk about setting on a message. He was quiet for 30 years. We never heard anything from him. He's from eternity past. He comes to the earth, 30 years silent, blows up Galilee, and now he's about to open his mouth. The Son of God is about to unpack what I call the constitution of the kingdom of heaven. And he is about to release what I call the declaration of dependence. And he's saying, I have come to usher in a new kingdom, another kingdom, and it is the complete antithesis of the kingdom that you think I'm coming to build. 
Jesus will come a second time and he will establish that kingdom. But at first he's going to lay the groundwork of this kingdom in mercy, humility, poverty of spirit and hunger. And he's going to lay the foundation of it in mercy and in going a different way. He's talking about the culture of the kingdom and what I'm calling the wineskin for revival. Hosting the presence. And he's going to appeal to every human being's longing for happiness. Happiness, I know. Because he's going to use the word blessed. Everybody say blessed. That word blessed means to be happy. An enviable life. And I can see Jesus in the crowds going, who wants to be happy? We do. I mean, get, think about this. He's done the revival meetings just to get them to the stadium so he can preach to them. He goes, good, I got your attention. Now I'm about to, now that I've locked the doors, I got you. And he's going to open his mouth and he's going to use the word blessed. And who wants to be happy? We do. Who wants to be happy? We do. And he goes, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who wants to be happy? I think we do. <laughs> blessed are those who mourn. I mean, think about that word mourning. When you think funerals, you think mourning. And Jesus says, Happy are you if spiritual mourning is touching your life, for they shall be comforted. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the ones who take their money, their authority, and their titles, and don't lord it over other people, but take their resources to serve others to make them greater. That's what meekness is all about. It's not using your money, position, and titles to stand over people, but to serve people. And he says, for the ones who do that, they're going to inherit the whole earth. And then Jesus takes us to the one I want to talk about tonight. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what I'm saying. For they shall be filled. Spiritual hunger. He's going to lay out these eight beatitudes. We could, I mean, they're just amazing. John G. Lake, a uh, famous Pentecostal preacher in the early 1900s saying, if there's one gift that I could give to all of humanity, it would be the gift of hungering for God. Hungering and thirsting for God. This is my definition of spiritual hunger. When God reveals to you how much you need Him. We all need Him in the good Christian sense. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. But who in here knows when the revelation comes, I need you. There's a big difference between the general cultural Christianity, I need you. And God, if you don't break in, I'm not going to make it. Who knows that hunger? Who knows the desperation that touches your spirit that if you don't get a breakthrough into God, then you're not going to make it. Have you ever touched that? Have you ever experienced the gap? Have you ever been disillusioned over your own present state in God? 
And everyone that you're hearing talk to you about God, even hearing yourself talk about God and what other people say about you. And you enter into a divine disillusionment where nothing satisfies but a new place in God. Have you ever touched that? It's a gift of God to show you and to disrupt you from comparing yourself with everybody around you. It's a work of God. I'm not, when I talk about spiritual hunger, I'm not talking about you jumping higher, screaming louder, and dancing longer. And something that you can exert in and of yourself. It's when God cuts you. Have you ever been cut by God? I want to tell you for me, and this is, I'll just share with you, I don't preach from too many movies, but I'm a big Rocky fan. Who likes Rocky series, huh? Two of you, come on. I'll just give you a little layup about this because this is how God shows up to me. Rocky one, you have the South Paul, the bomb fighter, Rocky Balboa, and you have the champion of the world, Apollo Creed, who's coming through and they're going to do a charity and let some bombs, little, you know, little club fighter fight him and it's going to raise money for charity. Well, he comes from nowhere. Rocky Balboa comes from nowhere and he ends up fighting Apollo and he takes him and they have a draw in Rocky one, which then brings us into Rocky two. And it's the famous count at the last second. And Rocky beats him as he climbs up the thing and he beats him. And so now we roll into Rocky three and Rocky is the champion of the world. And he's gone from nowheresville to stardom overnight. He is the king of the world. And the people that he's fighting is a bunch of handpicked bums, a bunch of for show, nobodies, and Rocky's rolling through them, beating them, and he's enjoying money, he's enjoying fame and success, but yet there's another fighter that's coming up through the ranks named Clubber Lang. And Clubber Lang, who is Mr. T, this man is hungry, and Rocky's manager, Mickey, is going to watch him, and he is seeing a hunger, a tenacity, a fierceness, and a rawness in Clubber Lang, and Mickey is scared to death of this man. He is just destroying fighters saying, I want Balboa. I want Balboa. I want Balboa. Well, the great climax and one of the big moments in Rocky three was the unveiling of the statue to Rocky. I was recently in Philadelphia and I said, first thing on my bucket list, I'm going to the Rocky statue. I'm serious. This is very big to me. First time in Philadelphia, I just fell in love with the city. I said, the first thing I want to see is Rocky statue. And so they're unveiling. It's at the top of the stairs where he goes up and he does his thing. They're unveiling the statue and he is going to take this opportunity to let everybody know that he's retiring. He's made his money. He's reached his heights. He doesn't even know about Clubber Lang. And he's ready to retire. And then out of the crowd comes Clubber Lang and he starts talking trash against him. Saying, you're just a punk. You're running from me. You're scared of me. Calling him out, just trashing him and his wife. And, 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 and Rocky's ready to fight him saying, dude, you name the time and the place. Let's do it. When they go off in the back room and he's sitting there with Mickey saying, Mickey, let me fight him. And Mickey says, no, you don't want to fight him. You don't want to fight him. And Rocky goes, why not? And then he turns around and Mickey says, cause you can't win rock. He says, this guy is hungry. He's tenacious. He's a wrecking machine. He'll knock you into tomorrow. He says, I haven't seen you this hungry in years. He said, what you used to have when nobody knew your name, 
And where you were just some bum off in the thing, you haven't had that look in years. And then Mickey looks at him and says the most intense phrase in the world. Looks at Rocky and he says, the worst thing that could have happened to a fighter has happened to you. You got civilized. You got civilized. Let that rest upon you. And I want you to know in my 20 year journey of walking with God, whenever he wants to rock the boat in my life, Mickey shows up. And said, Corey, you're believing too much of the hype. You're comparing yourself with that guy or that girl. You're comparing yourself over what you were living in five years ago and it's not real today. You haven't cried in the Bible in a long time. You haven't wept over souls in a long time. You haven't told someone freely about me in a long time. There's not that responsiveness when I speak to you like it used to be. And Mickey shows up to me and says, Corey, you're getting civilized. And I want you to know God will show up to you. One is misery loves company. So if he does it to me, I'm going to do it to you. I want you to know that the worst thing that could happen to a Christian is you get used to a cultural form of Christianity and disconnect from the true fight of fighting for a tender, responsive heart that is always reaching for God. That is the greatest that's the greatest travesty in the Christian life in America is the deadness of your soul and you don't even know it. Where the form keeps going on, but yet rigor mortis is setting in because you have forms, but the lifeblood isn't there anymore. And oh, I can hear that cry when the Lord looks at me and goes, Corey, you're getting civilized. And the whole story in Rocky 3, Rocky gets his tail whipped and he has to go back and learn the old ways. He has to go back. He has to learn a whole new form of fighting, but he has to go back to the old gyms. And it's always about going back to the stuff you know and doing it in simplicity and humility to break you through into the new season you want to be. Whenever God wants to break you into a new season, He'll get you doing the old stuff with fresh hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. It's the greatest gift that could ever be given to the human spirit is hungering for God. But God begins to wreck you and begins to produce a cry within you. I love Psalm 130. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O God. When we cry from that place of deliverance and cry, I love it. You know, one of my favorite stories, I'm going to share a few stories tonight out of the Gospels. And I have one agenda tonight, and that's to cut you. I just want to cut you. I want to cut you, and I want us never to become civilized in our Christian walk. That we would stay poor in spirit. That we would stay leaning on God. And that we would have a responsive heart as we move into 2018. Amen. Oh, when God reveals to us how much we need Him. Thank you, Holy Spirit. One of my favorite stories, he talks about this. uh, John G. Lake, he he wrote a series, a, a, a message on hungering for God. It's like one, it's like like a two pages out of... One of his famous messages, and I fed on it for years. And he tells the story of a, of a man by the name of Dan Von Buren. 
This man was a butcher and he, and he had tuberculosis. And he goes to the doctor and the doctor says, you're going to die within six months. You need to go home and get your affairs in order. Well, John G. Lake was from Chicago, moved to South Africa, revivals breaking out. All the stuff of Matthew 4 is happening in South Africa. And Dan Von Buren just got the report. He's got to go home and tell his wife. They've got 10 kids. They have no money. And he's about to die. He goes and he gets underneath an African thorn bush. And he begins to pray to God saying, God, I've been hearing about what you've been doing for this man. How you healed that drunkard. You saved that person. You delivered that person. You healed that marriage. God, if you can do it for them, I know you can do it for me. And Dan is later on telling John the story. And he says, John, at that moment, a new prayer was birthed in my spirit. And at that very moment, a wind came blowing through the tree, trees. And blew through the tree, went right into his lungs, and rushed right out of his body. And he knew immediately he was healed of his tuberculosis. He was filled with God. He went home. He had been praying for years for his wife to get saved. She didn't know the Lord. He walked in and he looked at her. And as soon as he looked at her, she fell to her knees. And she knew he got healed. And she was full of God. And he was full of God. And he says, she says, pray for me, Dan. I've got to get right with God right now. They lead the kids to the Lord. And then he begins to go to different members of parliament, of the government. And this was his ministry, looking at people. What if that became your ministry is looking at people? And as soon as you look at them, they come underneath the spirit of conviction. You smile at the cashier at the grocery store. And they're either filled with holy gladness or holy conviction. You know, that's what they say about Smith Wigglesworth. He would be on trains. A guy would just look at him and say, sir, I don't know what it is about you, but you convict me. Dan came home and he began to go to different members of parliament and, and the guys would come back and tell John saying, I'm no Dan forever. As soon as he walked into my office, I started trembling in my chair and all I could say is he looked like God. He sounded like God. I could see God in his eyes. You know what I love about that story? It comes from a butcher. It's not some apostle or preacher on a stage. It's not some worship leader. This is what I love about God. He don't care who your mama or your daddy is. He doesn't care if your dad was a pastor or a drug dealer. He doesn't care. There's an irreversible law in the kingdom, and it's called spiritual hunger. And you are beginning to experience the blessed life when spiritual hunger touches your life. When divine disillusionment touches you and you begin to say, God, I've got to get a breakthrough into a new place in you. I can't live on last year's intimacy. I can't live on last year's authority. God, I can't live on last year's vows of holiness. I need a new holiness that is even looking to find images. But I want to be far away from everything to guard the holy flame. Do you know what I'm talking about? I want to look at a few stories in the Gospels because I want to make it clear to you that in the Gospels we see one thing really true. Hungry people get things from God that everybody else doesn't. Hungry people receive things from God. Now the stories I'm about to read to you are intense. They come from people who have been battling with things for decades. 
ultimate crises. And they produced something in the human spirit. They produced a desperation and and a humiliation in the human spirit that refused to be denied. And I believe that God wants to touch us. God forbid anything bad happening, but that God, because the point is we don't need anything. God, we need God to show us how much we need Him. The point is, do you want Him to show you? <laughs> it's really good. Matthew 15. Let's go ahead and look at this. Hallelujah. These are intense stories. This one's the most intense. So we'll start most intense and work our way down. I mean, really, they're not. They're all like level 20s. But this one just breaks me, and I barely, rarely get through it without crying. I don't feel very cry right now, but we'll see. All right, Matthew 15, Jesus is in the region. And many times Jesus will use Gentiles that will provoke a level of hunger and faith in him to actually be seen to provoke Jews to jealousy. God always goes outside the camp to provoke those in the camp for what they have in the midst of the camp. And so he will always use them. And what you see in the Gospels is hungry people. That's why the Samaritan woman. That's why he chose a woman of ill repute in a Samaritan city to become his main evangelist to the city. Was the hungriest person in the city who happened to be a woman that had, that had had five husbands and was living with a man. Look at verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and she cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. You're about to see three denials. First one, he answered her not a word. He didn't even respond to her cry. Okay? So she's going to go to the next level. If you're not going to pay any attention to me, I'm going after the disciples. You ever had like a, a bum or maybe been that bum or been somebody that's right up in your business and it's really awkward. You ever had a, a bum like this close from you saying, I need it, I need it. She comes to the disciples and she says, I need a deliverance. If he's not going to give it to me, one of you guys give it to me. Well, they're over there quaking in their boots. And, and they look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, tell her to get away from us. This is awkward. Now Jesus is not even going to look at her, but he's going to speak to the disciples and in essence say, I don't go to her folk. I'm not sent to that side of the railroad tracks. I'm only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, and she's not on the right side of the tracks. Okay, let's go to the next stage. She then falls at his feet. And I love this phrase. And then he, he came and he said, send her away. She cries after. Look at verse 24. But he answered and says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of Israel. Verse 25, here it is. Then she came and she worshipped him. Everybody say, worshipped him. My goodness. And here is what I would call the greatest prayer in the Bible. Lord, help me. Have you ever had that, those three words come out of you at such a deep place? I need you. Help me. She cried. And she says, she worshipped him. I, I don't know if she fell down. She's weeping. She does this. I don't know what worship. She's falling at his feet. There's a humbling of herself. She's worshipping him. And she says, Lord, I don't have a plan B here. Help me. And now he's about to get really offensive. And he answered her 
and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to the little dogs. Three denials. He didn't answer her. I'm not sent to your people. And oh, by the way, you're a dog. Now think of any American that Jesus did this to. Any American, we would have gone after the one and he didn't respond to us. Well, screw you then. I don't need you. I'll go take a loan out of the bank and get my own deliverance from this. We'll get lots of meds for my severely demon-possessed daughter. And we'll just dope her up so she don't have to deal with life. And we'll put her in some padded room so that I don't have to come to you. He didn't answer her. Says, I don't go to your people. And you're a dog. And then one of the most humiliating yet glorious statements in the Bible. She agrees with his offensive statement. She goes, I am a dog. And I'll take any crumbs that fall from your table. You're right. I am a dog. And I'm setting my tongue hung open, waiting for one piece of that healing bread that's saved for the children of Israel to fall off that table and to fall into my tongue and to heal my daughter and heal my family. I'll take anything that you have. He spins in a moment. He says, woman, great is your faith. It's done. I believe he was drawing her out to provoke those disciples and saying, this is the stuff that moves heaven. He was saying, this is what moves me, is, a, is an undenied persistence that will break through offense, every brass heavens, everything that every easily offended person. Oh, I want to tell you, the hungry heart is an unoffended heart. A hungry heart is an unoffendable heart. We've got so many offended people in the church. So many people that are looking for excuses, looking for ways to back out. I want to be like this woman and press through it all. My goodness, Lord, give us this. Touch us with this and may the most offensive seasons where the enemy is raging the most. May we take offensive statements and turn them into intercession. Amen. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He's always saying to you who thirst, come to the waters. He doesn't say to the ones who just got full. He says to you who thirst. So here's our prayer. Make me thirsty. Make me thirsty. Make me thirsty, God. Make me thirsty that bleeds into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. I'm grateful for prayer conferences, but would prayer conference throw salt and throw logs on a fire that's going to be burning for the next decade and the next 360 days? Mark 10, 46. Now they came to Jericho. What's the next verse say? As he went out of Jericho. You know what that tells us? Nothing happened in Jericho. 
I know, I'm a deep Bible teacher, man. How can Jesus walk from the beginning of the bottom of Omaha all the way through? This is Yahweh in the flesh walking through a city. Nothing happens until he's on the outskirts of the city. And we have a divine window. Two worlds collide. The son of God and a blind beggar who had been waiting for this divine window to cross at one strategic moment in history. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging, verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, that's the similar phrase from the Canaanite woman as well as Bartimaeus. Son of David, you are the promised one who would come through David's line, who would deliver Israel from all of her enemies, and who would rule over this nation. You are the son of David. Have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Keep that up there. Verse 48. Jesus is walking through. He hears it's Jesus. He starts crying out like a maniac. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And everybody around him in the religious circle said, shut up, shut up, shut up. This is not a time to look humiliated. It's not a time to expose how slow we're really walking. This is a time to look respectable. A time to look sophisticated. That we might just get in the right room with this popular guy coming through. This is not a time to look stupid. I want to tell you, religious folk around you, there is a religious spirit. It's not about people. It's about a spirit that wants everybody to go at a 2.5 on the treadmill. And they want to say, as long as everybody stays at 2.5, we're going to be okay. You can have the language, fire, fire, glory, glory, but you better not rock the boat by trying to pick up your spiritual life to a five and get it into a jog. And if you do, we'll tell you to shut up and quit being so intense. Calm down. Be practical. Be wise. Be balanced. What did Bartimaeus do? He cried out all the more. He says, you guys can play religious games. You can run at a 2.5 on your treadmill. But I've got one window to get the Son of God's attention. And if I don't, I will remain in my state until I die. He cried out all the more. And then one of my favorite verses in the Bible. So Jesus stood still. This blind beggar just arrested the Son of God. And he's now standing still. And he commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man. Look at him. The ones that were telling him to shut up are now saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. This is just like it because the group that tells you that you're being imbalanced in one season, when you get that breakthrough and you get doors open into a new season, they're going to want to check onto your train and hook up with you and move into the next season. And I want to tell you, bring them on. They're going to be looking to get into the green room and be in the VIP room or see, be a part. Saying, yeah, I, I believed in them that whole way. 
I was with him. Rise, be of good cheer. He's calling you and throwing aside his garment. He rose and came to Jesus. I love that. Verse 51, I love this. Jesus didn't ask his name. Hey, tell me your story. Let's have coffee. Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? I don't need to know your story. All I need to know about you is what came out of you when I heard that cry. That cry was birthed from such a deep place. You have now got a blank check over your life. What do you want for me to do for you? See, you see the whole, it wasn't even about the request. It was about getting his attention. And there was a desperation that got his attention, which then began to talk about blank check, what you want. And he says, Rabboni, teacher, here it is. I love this. Oh, if the church could get this, that I may receive my sight. What if the Laodicean church in America got a desperation, and it's called the revelation of our current blindness. Jesus did not rebuke Laodicea for being blind. He rebuked them because they didn't know they were blind. He says, I just want you in touch with reality, because when reality touches you, a cry begins to release transactions in heaven. And when you cry out, God, I want to see. I'm great for the little bit I see, but God, I got to see more. I want to see you more. I want to see who you are in me more. I want to see people around me in a different way. I want new eyes south. That, what, and then what if the church with their blank check said, I want the spirit of revelation on my life. Now, his was a physical blindness. But, beloved, the same reality is happening in the church right now. Oh, that I may see. Oh, that I may see. Boom, you got it. (laughs) I love it. Last one. Hey, if nobody else gets blessed by this, I do. Turn to Luke 8. Hallelujah. We know all these stories, but that's sometimes the problem. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we're going to ask him just to take a spear and cut us tonight. Hallelujah. (laughs) I don't want to be cut. Yes, you do. God, deliver me from me. Luke 8. I love it that Jesus is going to pray for a, a little girl who had died. She was dying and she was 12 years old. And the very amount of time that this little girl had been alive, there's a woman with a 12-year issue of blood. So as long as this little girl's been alive, we have a woman that's been found in this menstrual issue for 12 years. And and in other Gospels, it says that she had spent, well, it literally says it right here. Look with me in verse uh, 43. Someone gave me a new Bible, and I turned 40 recently, and my eyes are starting to go there. So, the warfare. Touch my eyes, Lord. <laughs> Touch my eyes, Lord. I got a new Bible in a smaller print. Strengthen your servant. Verse 43. Now, a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians, 
I mean, think about that. You sell your house, your cars, you get rid of your 401ks to go to all the best doctors in the world to get your issue dealt with just to find out all the best doctors can't do anything for you to reach that place of desperation. And she could not be healed by any. She came from behind. In some of the gospel translations, she said to herself, in all the other encounters, Jesus did the work. In this one, she came up with the plan. She said to herself, if only I may touch the hem of his garment, I know that my flow of blood will be stopped. So she is defining the terms of her own healing. I just think that's so interesting. And she's about to sneak up on Jesus. And Jesus is just walking through to pray for this 12-year-old girl. Oh, my goodness. She came from behind and she touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And then one of the greatest phrases in the Bible. I know I've said that with all three stories. But this one, these stories are the best. (laughs) That's what you preachers do. Well, whatever. This is the word of God, man. I'm telling you, this stuff is real. Changes your life. Here's the phrase. You tell me if there's a better one. Who touched me? Who touched me? Peter says, Jesus, a hundred people are touching you. I love Peter. And Jesus goes, no, there's a hundred people around me. But only one of you touched me. Whoo! That in a, a meeting of two, three hundred people in one room, one person could break through the nice, dancing around his fire, into laying hold of him and extracting virtue from him. Pulling virtue out of him. I love this. That She snuck up on Jesus. Who touched me? He says, I perceived power coming out of me. Which means there was decline. That gives us insight into Jesus. He's fully divine, but yet fully man. And we see that he had to be replenished of the spirit because there was extractions of the spirit. But the point is, she pulled it out of him. Oh, that we could break through the cultural dancing around Jesus into truly touching him. He says, someone touched me for I perceived power going out from me. When the woman saw that she was hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him. And she declared to him her story. And how she was immediately healed. He says, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Hallelujah. Pray to get hungry. Pray to get hungry. Pray to get hungry. Ask God to make you the hungriest man that's ever lived. Ask God to make you the hungriest woman that's ever lived. Ask God to make you the hungriest young person that's ever lived. Saying, God, I want to hunger for you all my days. I want to be poor in spirit. I want to be leaning on you in spirit. And I want to be responsive.
It's those, John 7, 37, Jesus stood up on the last day of the great feast, and he says to him who thirsts, we always just run to the come to the waters, and I'll give him, and out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. But the precondition is to him who thirsts. The last few verses of your Bible, it says to him who thirsts, come to the waters. That's how your Bible ends. To him who thirsts, come to the waters. Isaiah 55, maybe you could put up Isaiah 55 verse 1. It says, ho, I love that, ho, come, how does he say it, Isaiah 55, 1, I want to do it right. I wasn't planning, I didn't give the guy enough headway for that one. Oh, boom, a prophetic screens guy. Everybody say, ho. <laughs> I think Isaiah just manifested there or something. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. <laughs> you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Verse 2. Look at this. Come on. <laughs> Prophetic. Come on, perfect screens guy. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. I love the phrase, come, you who have nothing. That's what will actually release currency in the kingdom. I believe that honesty and hunger is the currency to the kingdom of heaven. Your poverty is your currency. Most people are ashamed of reaching a place of barrenness. We, we shield our whole lives. I mean, if, if, think about, we can just say it so easy. We know the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. But think about if somebody came to you, because the whole Christian, and, and I understand it, the American Ideal is shielding yourself and comforting yourself so you never have to experience mourning. We're afraid of death. We shield ourselves from death. We run from death. And we'll do anything to live a little longer, but we're all going to die. And Jesus says, blessed are you if you mourn. Mourn now. Mourn over what? Mourn over current state of your soul mourn he says you will be comforted from heaven hallelujah i believe he wants to touch us tonight i believe he wants to fill hungry souls everybody say righteousness when it talks about being filled with righteousness what's that mean it means heaven's rightness manifested into every area of your life i call it the divine plumb line from heaven manifested in your soul your thoughts, your emotions, your desires, your body, your marriage, your family, your finances, your life. Divine righteousness. The plumb line from heaven. And he says to him who hungers and thirsts for the breakthrough, you will be filled. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Hallelujah.
I'm the first person to, to this altar. I love to preach messages that has me at the first of it. I'm the first person to every altar call. I want to tell you it takes energy to hunger. It takes priority to hunger. I've been traveling too much in January. I haven't been fasting like I have been accustomed to over the last 17 years. I know what happens. When I start preaching more from this Bible than weeping when I read it, Corey's in trouble. Preachers are as guilty and as prone to it as anybody. Oh, that God would produce a leaning, a responsive, and a hungry spirit in me. It takes priority. You won't bump into the deeper things of God on accident. They will be intentionally sought for. They will be prioritized. Hallelujah. Fire of the Lord's here. Just open up your hands. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God, I ask you to give to every heart in this room the gift of hungering for God. Give us the blessing of spiritual hunger. When I was a little kid, I mean, we think of hunger as something nice. When I think of hunger, when I was a kid, I remember the Ethiopian crisis, the food crisis. And I remember as a kid watching UN helicopters with big bags of food landing over Ethiopia and dropping loads of food. And I watched men, women, children as the basic desire and need for survival took over. And it was everybody out for themselves. And that always stuck in my head. Of what hunger looks like. I will not be denied. For the basic need of survival. I ask you to slay us with thirst God. I ask you to wound us with hunger. One of our singers Misty Edwards says. Blessed am I to live a hungry life. Blessed am I to thirst. There even may be seasons where there's disillusionment with yourself and with what you say and what's around you. And that's part of the process of God is robbing your piggy bank so that he can put you into an Alaskan pipeline. But he's got to first expose you. Increase your fire, Holy Spirit. Let's get awakened hunger. Release. Oh. Oh, filler God. For some of you, it will be the dams will break right now. Others of you will go home with a gnawing pain. A new question saying, God, do I hunger for you? Some of you, the Lord will fill you right now. <sighs> fill us, God, right now. Fill us right now, God. Fire. Fill us right now. Fill us right now. It'll look, it'll look different to everybody. I don't care. I just want you looking at him, asking him to give you what no amount of money can give. Increase your fire, Lord. 
Increase your fire, Lord. Don't worry about what anybody else is saying or doing. Just look at him right now. Say, God, make me the hungriest man that's ever lived. Make me the hungriest woman that's ever lived, God. Release a revelation of my need for you. Release the fire of the Lord upon my life. Release the fear of the Lord upon my life. Break the dams inside of me, God. Break the dams of safety. Fire. Fire. Ask him for your fire right there. He knows you. He knows your story. Dan Von Buren says a new prayer has been born in my spirit. God wants to birth a new prayer in you tonight. A prayer that penetrates through the heavens. Oh. Deep calls out to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We just wait on him a couple of minutes. Increase your presence, Holy Spirit. Increase your presence, Holy Spirit. Thank you for these men and women of this region. God, I thank you. I found in my life, whenever God wants to birth a new season, he's going to birth a new prayer, a new hunger. And it starts deep and it it might even feel like, God, I don't even know how to make sense of it. I don't want to hear anybody else talk. I don't want to hear myself talk. I need you. There'll be those seasons where you're like, God, I don't want to hear about Moses' encounter with you or David's encounter or her encounter or his encounter. God, I want to encounter you like I never have. Oh, who's prayed that before, huh? You're like, God, I don't want to just read stories from other people, God. I want. Increase your fire, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. If you have your prayer language, you can begin to lightly pray in the Spirit all over the room. If you don't have it, you just begin to say, God, I need you. God, I need you. I need you more than I realize I need you. Give me more than a cultural language of need. Give me a real, 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 real. Release your power, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ah. 
just a touch. I can't bring you off the That's right. I need you. I can't bring you off the Just as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O oh God. I love it that he knows every one of our stories and he hears the depths of every one of our hearts. Even when we don't know how to pray as we ought, the spirit helps us with groanings which are too deep to be uttered. Release the spirit's groanings in us, God. You hear the deep cries. Holy Spirit, just lift your hands all over the room. Let's ask Him to fill us with that righteousness. That's just heaven coming down. Father, release your fire. I want, I want you just to ask Him right now. Just repeat after me. Just say, Father, release your fire. Release righteousness. Release heaven in my life, in my family. In my finances, in my relationships, I want to break through in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Fire. Fire. Fire, fire, fire. Ask him to increase it. You sent him on you, just say, increase, Lord. Increase, Lord. He'll increase more. Where's my resting place? Four. He will come as fire. The fire will burn. The fire will tenderize. The fire will consume. Don't be afraid of the fire. Jesus is the baptizer in fire. He is the one who will baptize you in the fire and the Holy Spirit. He is the baptizer. We need your fire. Touch our sons and our daughters with your fire. Oh. Deeper, Lord. Take it deeper, Holy Spirit. Take it deeper, Holy Spirit. Take a deeper, Holy Spirit. Take a deeper, Holy Spirit. Don't bring it down a touch. Bring it down a little bit. Oh. Bring that down a little bit. Bring that down. Oh. 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 John says there's one coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to untie. 
Jesus is the one who will baptize you with fire. Oh. We need the fire. In Luke 12, Jesus says, I came to send fire. The fire's purpose is to reveal to you how much you need God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Fill her, Lord. Fill her hungry soul. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you. We honor you in this place. We make a place for you here, Holy Spirit. We honor the presence. We honor your presence and we thank you, God. Now that we have you here, oh God, that we would see. Just like Bartimaeus, when we have your attention and you have ours. We say, God, to see you release eye salve right now to our spiritual eyes, the fire Thank you, God. Fire. Fire. I want to see. Spirit of revelation rest upon my life. fire God just keep your eyes on him we'll go into music here in a little bit but I just want to we don't get enough of these times I'm going to ask you if you feel that that cry of praying in the spirit coming out too loud I want you to keep it down out of just respect for people around you you just pray it between you and the Lord I just want to honor his fire in here. And I want everybody to stay locked eyes on him. Oh, that we would build a holy sanctuary for him. Fire. Mark this family with your fire, God. Mark this family with your fire.
Where's your fire, Lord? Fire. Increase your presence, Holy Spirit. Let's ask him for another wave. He'll come like waves. Come, God, come again. Release another wave through this room. The fire that confronts and exposes and enlarges. Some of you are going to get your capacity enlarged. Others of you have had visions in one season that died. And God's going to say, it's a new season. It's a birthing season. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. I just bless good news. I thank you for, you know, Jesus in Revelation 1, his feet are like burnished bronze. So there, he has eyes of fire. He has hands of fire, but his feet are on fire. And I thank you for the, the anointing of fire upon this house. Fire in the eyes, fire in the hands, and fire on the feet. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Just want you to minister to the Lord. Just lift your hands all over the room. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Fire. Fire. Fire, God. You know every hand raised, every heart story, every cry, the deepest cry of our spirit for more of you, God. Some of us are in need of breakthrough, physical, spiritual, emotional, marriage, children. Apply your fire to it all, God. Apply your fire to it all, Jesus.
we open up. Another 30 seconds. Reach for it with your spirit. Come on, stretch yourself. Break through in the name of Jesus. Break through in the name of Jesus. Son of David. Son of David. Son of David. Mercy. Mercy. 
Psalm 40 moment over this people. Put a new song in my mouth. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord.
ready to say thank you, God, for what you did. I know I've been pierced deep tonight. And I'd say I needed it. I needed that. I needed that deep piercing. And I feel like I've just gone through so many routines and so many things. And I feel like Holy Spirit got so deep in there tonight. And I pray that's happened for you. As you go home tonight, don't forget what Holy Spirit's doing in there. We don't want to go back to the same old stall and eat the same old thing and follow the same old path. He wants to do something so deep. Can that be our continual prayer? God, go deep. Cut me deep. Maybe that needs to be a weekly or daily prayer. God, cut me deep. Pierce me deep. Thank you, Lord. And I'm so thankful tonight. I'm thankful that I'm here tonight. No real formal dismissal tonight. We're going to be back here for some more tomorrow night at 6.30. Sunday morning, 8 a.m., 9.30 and 11.15. He loves it when you linger with him. I think Carissa mentioned earlier she could stay all night. So be blessed in the name of the Lord. But continue to linger. Continue to allow him just to do something. Anything he wants to do. Anything you want to do, Lord. Lord.